right, well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Harvest. How are you all doing? Good. My name is Angie Gergen. I happily serve wherever they let me, including vacuuming. Today, I'm serving on the teaching team. Wherever I can serve, I love the house of God, and I love being able to serve in the house of God. So I just want to welcome you to Church for the Harvest. As you know, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are out celebrating his birthday. It, his birthday was a couple weeks ago. I'll say he's still in his 50s. If you didn't get a chance to wish him a happy birthday, it's not too late. In fact, I'd invite you to take out your phone and just blow up his phone. Not right now. Set the timer for like 1230, but just blow up his phone with encouragement. Has anyone ever been like, no, 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 I've had too much, no more encouragement from you? <laughs> Never. But just go ahead and just send him a text, happy birthday. We love you. We appreciate you. How many of you appreciate our pastors? And 30 years of ministry. I'm so grateful for them. So I just want to encourage you to go ahead and shoot him some encouraging words. And then um, if you're a guest here at Harvest, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. I would like to invite you to come back again next week so that you can meet Pastor Mike and Rhonda and you can hear him preach. And then if you've been coming to Harvest for some time and you're like, I'd like to make this my church home. We have Church 101 this, after the service just in that room off of the lobby there, and we'd invite you to come learn more about our church family. We'd love to hear more about you and um, share how you can be part of this body of believers. All right, so before I dive into the word this morning, I just want to tell a little story on myself. It's supposed to make you laugh. We'll see what you do if you still have confidence in me to teach the word, but I've taken on a new discipline recently through the summer. I like to take Thursday nights to come home and get all my big chores done. I like to get my mowing done, my laundry done, clean the house so that I can just roll into the weekend and I've got that time freed up so I can spend it with family and do those things that refresh me. Yeah, it's just something that it's like, this has been a discipline that I find really rewarding. So a few weeks back, I had just a great knockout day at work. Have you had those where you, it's like everything just goes your way, you get a gazillion things done, you're feeling like the wind to your back. I had one of those days, and I got back home, got on my mower, did my one green acre, was feeling like a million bucks. I had so many things that I wanted to get done, and it was just like the momentum was working for me that day. I'd made myself a flatbread. It was delicious. I cut myself off a piece of that flatbread, stood at the stove, took a bite. I'm like, that is such great flatbread. Went on about my business to go get my laundry switched around, was cleaning my house, getting all these tasks done. And then it dawned on me, like, wonder where that flatbread went. Don't remember finishing it. Huh. Wonder where that went. You know, you guys have all lost your keys. Come on. You've all lost your phone. Come on. Give me some grace. What'd you do? You, you traced back your steps. I started looking around the house like, where did I put that flatbread? I, I, I went down. I went to the extent of going down to the laundry like, did I throw it in the wash? No. Kelsey calls me. Hey, mom, how's it going? What are you doing? I don't know. Just looking for me dinner. <laughs> I have no idea where it went. Well, long story short, I think I ate it. <laughs> I think I was just so occupied with all the things I had to get done. I just inhaled it and didn't even remember it. There's no evidence of the flatbread laying around. This is like one of those stories, tell me you're middle-aged without telling me you're middle-aged. 
But how many of you know that if I would have just maybe taken time to change my posture, maybe plated the flatbread, sat down at the table, dare I say offered thanksgiving to the Lord for what he provided for me for my nourishment and refreshment, I wouldn't have found myself in that situation if I had taken a moment just to change my posture. What effect would that have? And that's where I want to take us today. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to pull truths from your word. Lord, that when we come before your word, we leave changed and more into your likeness. So I pray, God, as I deliver the message that you've given to me, Holy Spirit, help me to do it in, with the right heart, with skill. Give us eyes and ears to hear and to be quick to obey. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to tell you, I have a fair amount of scripture I'm going to share right now. But I want you to understand the setting. So we're going to go through this entire story. It's a very familiar story. It has three main characters. It has Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, and a sinful woman. It also has the crowd that's watching. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Read along with me. It says, Afterwards, Simon, a Jewish religious leader, he is a Pharisee, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard that Jesus was at Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with her tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then, as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, only thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. And Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. I love that line. Because Jesus starts course correcting right away. Simon, I have a word for you. You see, Simon thought that Jesus ought to know the sinfulness of the woman. But Simon didn't recognize the love of the one next to him. Simon didn't recognize his mission was already set in motion to forgive and restore. Religion will always focus on the sinfulness of a person. That's why people are burnt out on religion. That's why people can't stand to be around it, because it's always casting blame. But faith will always mine the treasure that's in that person and see the glory of the one who forgives and feel, heals. Amen? Simon says, go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other owed only $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of these two debtors would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greater debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. 
Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But there are those who assume, assume to have very little to be forgiven of and love me very little. Then Jesus said to this woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. And all the dinner guests said, who is the one who can even forgive sins? And then Jesus said, your faith in me has given you life. Now, may, now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. When she left his presence, she was free from everything that sin tried to bind her with. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Last week, Pastor Mike and, uh, Pastor Mike and his daughter, Destiny, shared a really powerful sermon on stewarding the move of God. And if you had a chance to listen to it last week, I would encourage you to go and listen to it again on our podcast or our website. If you didn't have a chance, get in there and listen to it. It was such a great word. And Destiny did such a great job illustrating the difference between being a follower who is part of the crowd, just chasing after Jesus to have an experience with God, amen, versus being a disciple who studies Jesus embraces his teaching, and is empowered to carry the move of God. Amen? That's the category I want to be in. We learned of the crowd mentality following in mass and searching only for what God can do. What about me? What about me? In contrast to the disciples who are committed to move with God and carry a move of God as his disciples and his friends. Yeah, we can be that close to God that we can be called friends of God. I love that when you look through the Old Testament, God looks at Abraham and says, that is a friend of mine. He looks at Moses and he goes, I talk with him face to face. He's a friend of mine. David, he's a man after God's own heart. And how Jesus says, hey, you're my friends if you do what I command you. You're no longer do I call you servants. For servant, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. I love this verse. You did not choose me. I chose you. I chose each and every one of you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in the name of my Father, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. That's part of the fruit that we bear. So we learned about the Mass that follows after God just to have an experience. We learned about the disciples that pursue God so that they can allow God to move through them. But I want to bring up, and it's probably maybe a little heavy, but hang in there with me today, because sometimes we need the heavy to do a heart exam. Sometimes we need to just be real and do a little bit of a heart exam. There's a third group that we need to be aware of because it's easy to drift into this group. It's a group of critics. It's a group of skeptics. Can you hang in there with me? Can you hang in? Yeah. We see this critical heart in Simon. 
But what if Simon had adjusted his posture with a purpose to be part of what Jesus was doing? What, what change would that make? See, it wasn't a matter of closeness for him. Simon was in the presence of the king. He was within the same proximity of Jesus, nearly as close as the woman, the, the sinful woman that was washing his feet. How many know we can come into the presence of the king and our heart posture can dictate what happens in that presence? Amen? It's so interesting to me in this passage how Simon didn't even have to speak anything. Simon didn't declare his disgust or express his lack of care, concern for the woman. He didn't verbalize his critique of Jesus. He only thought it in his heart. He never had to spoke it. But the Bible teaches us that the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. So when Jesus perceived what was going on in Simon's heart, he says, Simon, I got a word for you. I want to course correct this. He's good that way. He's good that way. God cares more about your heart than any of your external accomplishments. We would like to rest ourselves on our external accomplishments. They're visible by all. Your heart, though, is the very thing that steers the course of your life. Amen? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're going to pursue what you value. You will steer where you stare. Your heart matters. You don't see it on the outside, but it has the greatest impact on the outcome of your life. Simon was a Pharisee. He actually dedicated his entire life to studying the Old Testament. He knew the law inside and outside, upside, downside. He knew all the traditions. He took much pride in this. In his eyes, in the eyes of others, he was pretty important. He had arrived. Also in his eyes, he was righteous. How many of you know that wasn't the kind of righteousness that Jesus provides? It was a self-righteousness. Self-righteousness? Do you see how easy that sometimes we can slide into that? He was so preoccupied and confident in his knowledge of God, his expertise of, his, of the law, his knowledge of the social scuttlebutt. He knew where this gal had come from that he became comfortable at the table with Jesus. He reclined, it said. His posture was that of a reclined posture instead of pressing in. He was with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he made the mistake of reclining at that table. He didn't recognize Jesus as Lord and someone could, as someone that could redeem him or change him for the better. Church, do you see how sad this opportunity is? It's just such a missed opportunity. What if Simon had adjusted his heart posture towards Jesus, and then he could have truly known what it was like to be in right relationship with his creator and step into a move of God with God right then and there? What if his heart posture had been like, Jesus, she is so broken. What can we do to restore her? What if he had taken that heart posture? God, I'm looking to you with great expectation. His life would have abounded with a fresh new faith, a faith that brought life, and he would have a testimony that would affect generations. Amen? But it was about his heart posture. In that moment, he didn't recognize what was before him, that what was before him was timely to nourish him, to strengthen him, to bring refreshment, refinement, and revelation. And why? Why? because of his pride. 
he was walking in pride. It was a very poor heart condition. How are you guys doing? Is this too heavy? Are you hanging in there? He was overlooking the thing that had the greatest value. Although he was an expert in law and traditions, he actually withheld his honor from Jesus. When Jesus says, you didn't even greet me with a kiss. You didn't offer me water to wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head. That was just standard custom. And he withheld that because he thought of himself actually greater than the Son of God. The cost was high. He failed to receive what Jesus had for him and to be on mission with Jesus. When I'm done and I take my last breath, let it be said of me, she was on mission with Jesus. I want that to be said about each one of you. I know that person. I knew them for decades. And every time I encountered them, they were on mission with Jesus. They were about what he was about, building his kingdom. Amen? We're called to taste and see that the Lord is good. Please hear the heart behind this and see the difference. I don't want to live a life reclined on my blessed assurance, comfortable in my own accomplishments, throwing those up to God like filthy rags. I want to live a life pressed in. I want to see you living a life pressed in, pursuing the things of God, not critical, but having honor for the things of God. Amen? Amen. Even though Simon looked great on the outside, he was an absolute mess because he was misaligned internally and in his thoughts. Amen. He was blinded by his pride. He didn't recognize the depravity of his condition. Instead, he reclined back, comfortable, trusting all his achievement. That strikes me. It strikes me, and it causes me to take pause. It causes me to do a little bit of an evaluation. You know, is it possible that there could be a little self-righteous Pharisee on the inside of me? I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I've been studying his words for decades. I could take pride in that. Do I sit and I start looking at things? Do I, do I start taking, is my posture one that takes the church for granted? Or takes the teaching of God for granted? Or his presence for granted? Do I think I already know so much that I feel compelled to size other people up? I know, it's heavy, but sometimes we need the heavy to do a heart evaluation, amen? Sometimes we need to just take it in and go, okay, God, am I still in alignment or am I a little bit out of alignment? Do I come here to just clock in and clock out or do I come to draw closer to Jesus and be transformed and renewed? Is my approach always to extend honor and value and encouragement to serve? That's what God created us to, to be. So I have to pause. I have to consider is there a little Pharisee inside of me that needs to be dealt with? I want to challenge you this morning. Is there a little Pharisee inside of you? How do we position ourselves to honor Jesus? What's a tangible way? I like to know, like, if I leave today, what is a tangible way that I can honor Jesus? Let me tell you, I've got an answer for you. How do we actually love Jesus and press in? There's one way, and there's many, but there's one way the Bible is so clear to us and how we can honor Jesus. And you want to know what it is? It's through honoring one another. It's through humbling, humbly honoring and serving one another. Isn't that good? Because when we honor each other, we're ultimately honoring Christ. We're honoring what God put in you 
as a treasure, as a gift, as a talent. And we're making a draw on that, saying, hey, what God put in you, I need that from you. And what God put in me, I will willingly pour out and serve in that capacity. And that's how we honor Christ. That's one of the ways we honor Christ. That's why God loves the church, why church is such a great thing. Romans chapter 12, if you're looking for a great uh, chapter to read this week, read Romans chapter 12. Read about honoring one another. But verses 10 through 11 say, Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. God calls us family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. I've seen some folks, they come to church, and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just saying it as I see it. They've got a mission. They do a pep talk in the car. They're like, okay, get in, get out, don't make eye contact. You cannot honor one another if that's your strategy. Great strategy for Walmart and Aldi. Not a good strategy for church. We got to bump shoulders. We got to do life together. That's why we have life groups. That's why we, that's why we do mission trips together. That's why we have birthday parties together. That's, we do life together. That's where the honoring takes place. That's where we serve together. There's not one of us in here that's perfect, but we love each other through it. And we honor the gift that's in each other. And we draw on that gift and we see it get strengthened and beefed up and we stand in faith for one another. That's how we honor one another. Ultimately, when we do that, we're honoring our king. Amen? Amen. Given the option to be Simon, who is so puffed up with all his knowledge and Old Testament theology and all that, or the option to be the sinful woman that comes in, I'd take the sinful woman any day. You want to know why? She had revelation that she knew who her Savior was, and that she was in need of a Savior. And she pressed in. She pressed in to honor him well and to change her posture. It's so important that we understand what's going on on the inside of us. How many of you know that what goes on on the inside of your mind, your body, your spirit, is the unseen is a much greater indication of your health than anything you see on the outside. You could have a wound, we can debride that, we can stitch that up, we can get that healed. You can be a specimen of health, but if you've got clogged arteries, you're not going to make it long because you don't have that lifeline pumping blood to the essential organs. Amen? It's true in our spiritual walk with the Lord. We need to take a look at what's going on in our heart, and is there anything that's out of alignment that we need to bring back into alignment? Amen? Today, I want to challenge each one of us as we talk about stewarding the move of God. And we talk about, are we part of the crowd? Are we disciples? Have we let ourselves drift where we allow ourselves to be a critic in some sense? What is your posture before him? How are you pursuing him? Are we, are we, are we pressing in with hunger and determination and expectation, honoring and loving one another along the way? Do we value spending time in God's presence and pursue that, not just in church services, but in our daily lives, I want you to take time and check your posture. How many of you had a mom that said, hey, come on, stand up straight? Get your posture in line. Anyone go to the chiropractor because your posture is out of alignment? Yeah. There's some physical things that happen when our posture is in alignment that also 
they parallel the spiritual aspect. When our posture is right, we're in alignment. I want to be in step with God. I want to be in alignment. That's why it's important to look, what's my heart condition right now in this place? When my posture is right, how many of you know that when your posture is right, you stand a little taller? And what happens when you stand a little taller? You get to see a little higher. Amen. Praise God. You get to see the long view. You can see over the crowd and you can see the long view. When your posture is right before the Lord, your vision is not on, oh, look at me and all my great accomplishments and this and that. See how short my vision is when I'm doing the navel gazing? Versus if I'm looking unto him and I align my posture and now I can see a little higher and I can get that long view to see that the things that I'm doing for the kingdom of God isn't just for the here and now, but it's affecting the generations to come. When I look at my grandkids, I can say, you better believe that we are laying a strong foundation so you have a higher platform to jump from and to build from. Amen? So that's something that is a benefit of a proper posture before the Lord. It affects our gait. It affects how we walk when we have a proper posture. We're less prone to injury when we have a proper posture before the Lord. The Bible says no weapon formed against us will prosper. Does it say no weapon will be formed against you? It doesn't say that. Will there be weapons formed against you? 110%. When you have a proper posture before the Lord, you don't have blind spots as much. You don't have weak areas. Do those weapons have a chance against you? No, because you're in right alignment with the things of God. Amen. No weapon formed against us will prosper. It increases your confidence. How do you know that? How many of you know that when you're walking in confidence with the Lord, it draws other people to him? Amen? They say, I don't know what you got, but it's uncommon in this world, and it shines bright, and I want some of that. Amen? It improves your energy and productivity. It communicates that you're on mission. I'm a blessed mom. I have a son and I have a son-in-law. Both serve in the U.S. military, and I'm so proud of them. But when they're serving, there is a specific posture that they are to take and a gate they are to take. And what does that communicate to them and those around them? It communicates they are on mission. Amen? Amen. How are you guys doing? You're still thinking about my dinner. Come on. I want to take a few minutes to reflect on this woman. I just love her to pieces. She was determined to press through every opposition to get close to Jesus. I admire her strength, her faith, her tenacity. You see, she had the cards stacked against her, possibly by her own choice, possibly by birth. She was a Gentile. In that day, she was a woman that counted against her. She had a tarnished reputation that was known by everybody she walked by. She determined to enter a spiritual leader's home uninvited because she was in pursuit of Jesus Christ so that she could pour out her extravagant love and worship and honor her King and Savior. She pressed beyond every label, every lie, every criticism, every disdain, every sneer to get to the one who had true love and wholeness for her, to be released from sin's bondage and to live in victory and freedom. She released her costly perfume to pour out affection and adoration on the one whose value is absolutely priceless, confident that he was everything she needed with a determined perseverance. She overcame every devil in hell that was trying to destroy her through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen. There's value when we press into the table where Jesus is. What to God if we all showed up with that kind of intensity every Sunday morning, every time we gather together? What to God if we place that kind of value on our King and our Savior and we came in with that kind of intensity? I don't care what the world's trying to label me with. I don't care what's been going on this week that's trying to bring me down, what weapons have come my way. I am pressing into the table. I am going to add worship and honor and value to him. I'm going to pour out my whole heart to him. What would happen? How you doing? Praise God. That's how I want to worship. That's how I want to be known. There's value when we press into the table where Jesus is. Proximity is one thing, but the posture of our hearts is entirely another. God invites us time and again to the table. Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that verse. I don't know about you, but I've walked through some really dark times in my life. And I love the verse of, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you go with me in your imagination there for a moment? Jesus is preparing this table. He knows all the things that you love, the things that will nourish you, that will refresh you. He's laying them out on the table. He sees you enter the room and you go, his face lights up. Come, sit down, be refreshed, be restored. Let's reason together. Let's you and I just visit and reason together. You say, God, but the enemy, they're after me. You can see them clamoring at the window. God says, oh, them? Yeah, they make me laugh because I know what their end is. I got them taken care of. Furthermore, I got you. I got you. Come sit at the table with me. Be restored. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still doesn't mean that we're just vacant, empty vessels just waiting for God to show up. But we're still in strength looking to God with expectation, counting on him to do what God does best, to deliver, to heal, to make whole, to bring us into right relationship with him, to walk with him in victory. Amen? It's time for us to receive for that restoration, that refocus, that nourishment, so that we can proceed and go out and be vessels that pour out to others and be part of that move of God, part of stewarding that move of God. So today I want to challenge you. Take inventory of your heart. What's the posture in your heart? Please come and stand with me as I invite the worship team and the ushers up. We're going to transition the service to prepare for communion. I hope you're challenged this morning. I hope you're challenged in a way that you can just come before the Lord and say, Lord, wherever I've been out of alignment, bring me back. Bring me back into that place that I can bring honor and glory to your name. Let our hearts be unified hearts that align with the mission to go out and reach a lost and dying world, to bring people to Jesus and to raise up disciples. And when we're done doing that, let's do it all over again. Hearts that are excited to come to the table to be in the presence of our Savior, that we honor God and we honor others with great love and look to him with intense expectation of what he wants to do in and through our lives. But first things first, the starting point is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I gotta tell you, it's by far the best decision that I've ever made in my life, and my relationship with him is more real than anything else. It has great eternal rewards. I love walking with the Lord. He's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's good. He's never, ever failed me. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. 
because he loves us so much. He wants to restore us into right relationship with him. The Bible teaches us that sin separates us from God and we can never pay the price to be in right relationship with him no matter how much we try. But Jesus can and he did it through the death on the cross, conquering sin and death and raising up to life again three days later. Hallelujah. In Romans 10, chapter 9 through verse, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And 2 Corinthians verse 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are reconciled through Christ, for he, God, made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the divine exchange we take when we give when we surrender to Jesus and ask him to be Lord of our lives, we give up that sin nature and we take on his righteousness. All we need to do is simply receive it. So I'm going to go ahead and lead you into prayer this morning. And I would just invite you to pray this prayer after me and just ask Jesus to come in and be Lord of your life. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. I don't want to live apart from you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know your purposes for my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.